And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, and Ferrari finally revealed the SF21 just two days before the start of Formula One pre-season testing. The question is, will it be good enough to allow the team to bounce back? To answer that question, and many more, are Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson. Well, Gary, hello. We've got to pile straight in with the, the standard question for pre-season. How do you rate the Ferrari launch? Um, yeah, I mean, it was okay. Um, the car was there. There's a few pictures of it. Um, you know, They obviously did their, their part in telling us what they've done, and um, can't really complain too much about that, to be honest. Uh, you know, my complaints would probably be more focused just generally on the car itself. Um, you know, because uh, again, as I say, they, they had the car there, they had pictures, and they had people telling us things. So, not a big drama. Better than uh, than uh, playing a triangle, I think. Maybe. <laughs> well, you never know. I, I mean, it could be worth lap time. Did you ever try playing the triangle in a wind tunnel? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Actually. I must do that sometime. It'd be quite, it'd be quite, uh, quite a good venture, wouldn't it? Quite a good feature. You see, that just shows how F1's changed, isn't it? Back in those days, you just sort of made it all up as you went along. You don't, you don't take the rigorous uh, approaches. And talking of rigorous approaches, Scott, you've been going through everything Ferrari has said with a, a fine tooth comb. So, are you feeling uh, optimistic on behalf of Ferrari? They can at least do a little bit better this year. Um, well, I think it would be difficult for them to do as badly as they did last year. So I was already pretty optimistic that they'd have a change in, in, in fortune. Um, as, as we'll get into in this conversation, uh, I think a lot of what's come out of their, their launch, when you see the, the scope of the change, even on the surface, what's visible, and then obviously what's much more importantly for Ferrari gone on under the bodywork, especially with the engine, um, I see no reason why they can't re-establish themselves as the third third best team but um i'd be lying if i said i believe that they did you know it'd be back to as you were in 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 2019 i think they fell so far behind last year this is really going to be a sort of transitional season as they try to uh, just move themselves moving themselves clear of the midfield group will be a success for ferrari this year 
Certainly. And in fact, there's no excuse for them not climbing to third place and being a little bit clear of that midfield group. Although they were sixth last year, it's a very tightly packed part of the grid. So a very small performance swing is plenty to get them back up into third place. It doesn't really bear thinking about what will go on at Maranello if they don't get back to that. So Gary, does this car, looking at the details and the areas they focused on, give you confidence that this is a team going in the right direction? Well, yeah, I think it's a team going in the right direction. But as Scott says, I think the the main developments are all underneath the bodywork, the stuff that we can't see. Um, and that obviously includes the power unit to try to make up for whatever deficit they really did have last year. And they've obviously uh, spent their, their, their tokens on, on the, the rear, the gearbox and the rear suspension. With the engine comes a bit of a different cooling package. So, you know, all of that's heading away and we, and we don't really see it in detail, but it's all about getting, you know, better airflow through the back of the car. But the, uh, you know, the airflow starts at the front of the car and the back of the car can only work with what the front of the car gives it. So at the end of the day, I'm surprised they haven't gone more aggressively on the front end of the car because it's sort of been proven that it's that it's a, a good step, this narrow nose package. Um, they've gone for a more complicated sort of wing mounting, I suppose you might call it, on the front of the nose. Um, that's part of an area where there's a there's a a body section that goes on there. Basically, it has to be very very low um, G level to crush it. So you can you can do fairings at the front part and not actually be part of the structural part of the nose. So they've gone for that route, and it's it's very complicated, um, and it's not really. I don't think it's what you want at that area of the, of the car. It's a very complicated aero-defined specification, and I don't see as any there's any substitute for the narrow nose as far as getting airflow around that nose and underneath the chassis. Um, so I, I think they've you know they missed a trick there at the front of the car to get the airflow set up better for the rest of the car. So. I, I'm not seeing anything externally on the car that would make me get excited. Um, the side pods themselves are a bit more, as we call them, cling-wrapped, and that's to go in line with the, the cooling uh, packaging of the of the new engine requirements. So, you know, they've been able to tighten that all up, but they they sort of haven't done it as much as others have done it. So they're, they're still in the catch-up mode in my book. They're not actually leading the way anywhere. Um, I can't see anything leading the way, so... Unless they find something revolutionary with the, the engine uh, and its, its power output, which I think it's, it's getting to a point now where the, the power output from these engines is, is, is sort of leveling off a little bit. So I don't think there's any big advantages. So again, in that area, they're probably still playing catch up to people like Mercedes and maybe even Honda. Um, so there's, you know, there's nothing new. If you copy the Mercedes rear gearbox and rear suspension that they had last year, you're still playing catch up. So I don't see anything that's going to, as I say, make them lead the way. I see a lot of catch-up uh, body surfaces and and bits and pieces of detail. So I don't see anything that's going to beat Mercedes or uh, probably Red Bull in, in the Ferrari package. It does mean that Ferrari is perhaps in the most extreme situation in terms of what it would have liked to have done and what it's been able to do. Because, Scott, it was a, a, a clear choice, wasn't it? You either spend your tokens on doing the nose or you spend it at the rear of the car. So Ferrari had to make that decision last year and it put them in an awkward situation because whichever way you go, you're leaving performance on the table, aren't you? Yeah, and uh, I guess they identified the, the rear end of the car as, uh, as a particular weakness. Um, they basically, the, the way Enrico Cardile, the chassis chief at Ferrari, put it is that they needed to 
make a quick decision on where they would be able to implement what he calls radical change. And what Ferrari decided is that that is uh, the new gearbox and, and rear suspension. And within that is Ferrari's permitted development token spend. Um, this would have presumably been committed to quite early um, just to maximize development time as much as anything else. But I was also wondering sort of before the launch, sort of how much the new engine would necessitate uh, a, a new gearbox uh, design. But basically, Ferrari have obviously tried to make the most out of this. Um, so the power unit, the engine design works obviously partly in tandem with what the chassis guys do. You know, Gary pointed out that the you have the slightly different um, surface shape at the the back of the car with the bodywork which is related to the engine ferrari have described it as a as a more tapered rear end and that they wanted to design more sort of down washing bodywork is how they they described it and it it is obviously significant it's a significant part of the car's architecture at the the rear of the car but yeah just to go back to what gary was saying before if it's if all they're doing is righting the wrongs of last season, then that means that they are probably at best 12, 12 months behind the likes of Mercedes, for for example. So this is why we're not talking about them as you know restoring F1's big yeah. three in the sense of having three teams at one stage maybe fighting for a win. They're just going to elevate themselves to the to the top end of the, uh, the midfield. I can only assume that the weakness that they saw in the package at the rear of the car plus what they needed to do around the engine with their changes there, they just felt that that as an overall package was worth prioritising over something at the front of the car. But there's always going to be a trade-off there because I think as Gary was sort of pointing to, that if you reprofile the front end of the car, you're affecting the airflow over the rest of the car. So they'll have left something on, on the table. And while they had the biggest amount of time to find because of the extent of the straight line speed deficit they had, the draggy car, the fact that it just didn't seem to be an all-round very good package. They also still had fundamental limitations in how much they could change. So, yeah, lo- lots of time to find, arguably quite a bit of low-hanging fruit, but that's all in the engine, in in the car itself, struggling really to identify anywhere they've been particularly innovative. Scott, there's just one thing I'd like to add there, really. As you said, your their chief chassis designer said they had to make a quick decision but making a quick decision doesn't necessarily make a quick car. Um, sometimes you have to think about those decisions. And, you know, I, I, I don't see that. The, the car that they have at the moment, yes, they've detailed a lot of stuff. Obviously, the cooling, the engine maybe needs less cooling, but we won't know that until we get to some of the hotter circuits and see how they have to open up the back of the car to get it to cool. A lot of good detail on the car itself, but there's a, a lot of good detail on the Mercedes and on the Red Bull. And that's why I'm saying it's still a, to me, it's still a catch-up process that they're within. They haven't, they haven't revolutionised anything on the car. It's, uh, it's definitely just a catch-up package. And then, you know, sometimes you need to bite the bullet a little bit. Um, obviously, the rear end of the car is is critically important for for lots and lots of reasons: for diffuser sensitivity, for the performance of the rear wing, cooling performance, this new floor regulation. But again, I sort of hit the harp on, but. You know, the front of the car sets up the airflow regime for the rest of the car. So you have to get that right. Otherwise, it's like driving in turbulence, you know. Any Formula One car, any car out there on the road even, 
you know, driving behind another car will always suffer, whether it's a loss of downforce or turbulence and the car starts moving around on you. And basically, if you don't have a good airflow off the front wing, through the front suspension, etc., then the rest of the car is, in effect, working in turbulence. It's not working in good airflow. Well, I'm going to make you harp on about this a bit more, Gary, because I think it's it's easy when you look at the nose. People can see the differences between the Ferrari approach and the narrow, sometimes shallow approach some of the other teams have had. But obviously, in the grand scheme of things, it's not an enormous order of magnitude scale difference. But how much difference in terms of the volume of airflow you're getting into the right places and also the disruptions to the airflow are you talking about? How big a deal is that? It's a huge deal because, you know, if you consider where the nose is, obviously it's it's forward of the front tires. So you've got the, the front wing in isolation as such there working and doing its best to generate downforce from free airflow that's coming at it. Um, and then that airflow is two great big bits of black rubber behind it. And you have to try to get that airflow to come off that wing and go inside the tire um, or some of it, what we call outwash, goes outside the tire. And if you take the nose section, which again is in front of the tires, that's got a cross section. So, so basically, you're trying to you're trying to optimize the the blockage as you go from the front of the car to the back of the car, still allowing the things like the front wing that has to create downforce to be open open flow and to have no blockage behind it or minimum blockage behind it. So, you know, if you were to take a a, a chainsaw and cut a horizontal line through the nose and all that stuff that's underneath it, you want that section to be able to keep airflow attached to it as it goes underneath the chassis um, and pull it inwards so that it sort of makes it makes the, 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 the front tires more or less invisible because you're pulling the airflow into underneath the chassis. That's why we've got the high chassis. And the wider the nose is, the more you're having to do, the more dramatic work you're having to do in that airflow to pull it in there. So I believe there is a, you know, a percentage difference in the narrow nose to the wider nose, you know, a decent percentage difference there. So it's it's a step that's, that's, that's worth taking. You know, it, it doesn't work by just putting a narrow nose on the car and seeing if a narrow nose or a wide nose is the best. It, it needs to be developed in conjunction with all the barge boards and all the other bits because you can't just produce more airflow there and think everything else will just work the same. It won't. It's probably a negative. But you have to start to evolve it, and then you'll you'll hit the point where it's not a negative anymore. It sort of breaks even, and then you'll hit the point where you can make more out of it. So, as I say, the quick decision doesn't necessarily make a quick car. Well, obviously, they have decided the rear is the place to go. So, Scott, what do we know about the problems that they had last year in that area? They certainly made some progress in ameliorating them, but they didn't eliminate the instability problem, as Sebastian Vettel's qualifying performances proved. No, um, e- exactly. And I think they once they'd got to the end of the season, they'd accepted that there were fundamental limitations within the package that they had while they while they did have this concentrated development program through the year. Um, and what, obviously we won't see it because they have now changed that uh, rear suspension. It'll be interesting to see sort of what that... Um, what that does for the car's balance but i do wonder if they felt that the um uh that the aero regulation changes for for this year obviously stripping away some of that aerodynamic performance at the rear of the car would exacerbate a bad characteristic on the sf1000 um and therefore making making the change that they have was also a way of uh, effectively preempting 
the bad stuff getting even worse in, in, in into twenty twenty. So 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 last year they 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 just had this uh they basically had a situation where they could m- mitigate against the car's weaknesses but they they never eradicated it let alone turned it into a strength and i think by the end of the year sporting director lauren mekis had described it as basically holding their hands up and saying that they that they know that the the rear the rear of the car isn't class leading i'm not really sure what on last year's ferrari would have been class leading but they they seemed pretty convinced that a big part of the car's fundamental limitation um, performance-wise was lay within the sort of the, the the rear part of the car. Obviously, this is beyond the power deficit. This is beyond the car being draggy. It also wasn't the best car through the corners. It obviously didn't have the best mechanical platform. So, it's I think it's I think it's telling uh, that even with what I referred to earlier is low hanging fruit with a new engine and making the car less draggy because it's now got a bit more power to, to, to work with and they can revise that, um, that, that, uh, that calculation and that, that ratio, they still felt that they had a major mechanical deficit to, to address, which is obviously has come in the form of overhauling the, the, the rear end or, or describing what, that you know they've described it as a radical change. I obviously haven't seen the the internals, how everything links up, so I couldn't tell you exactly what they have changed. But um, it's it's just very very clear that they they saw that part of the car as maybe not as big of a problem as the power deficit, but certainly a, a an order of magnitude higher than anything else on the car that needed to be improved. What do you see at the rear, Gary? Looking at it, it seems like they've done some stuff with a lower wishbone. In the rear suspension, we know they've got a new gearbox. So, what what do you know about the rear of the car, and what do you think might be going on that we can't see? Well, I think they should they should have gone that route with the the, the wishbones, trying to get the blockage down and move them rearward a bit, and that means you have to use and in, go into the uh, the rear crash box with some of the the linkage. Um, it also means you know you as I say, you're trying to get as much airflow through there between the inside of the tyre and the coke bottle as you can, especially for this year with the new floor regulation. So whenever we talk about the rear end of last year's car being being nervous or sensitive or whatever, that normally comes from the fact that when you're going down the straight, the car gets closer to the ground. And when the car gets closer to the ground, the diffuser will stall. Parts of the diffuser will stall. All those turning veins in the diffuser, they're there to sort of compartmentalise the, the diffuser. And that means that you know, one or one or two of those compartments will the airflow will separate on it, and that gives you a drag deficit, which gives you a straight line speed advantage. Ferrari probably pushed that quite a long way because they had the problem with with less power la- last year, so they probably pushed that stall to a bigger area than than what was was practical. And you can do that. You know, it's, it's 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 quite easy to make the car the underfloor stall and give you a a, a drag, as I say, a, a drag reduction. But the problem is when you hit the brake pedal at the end of a straight or going into a corner, if that reattachment onto the diffuser isn't more or less instant, then for the driver, he's just got that momentarily tenth of a second or so, he's got no rear grip. You know, whenever you consider these cars are braking for, you know, a second from 300 kilometers down to entry of a, you know, 100 kilometer corner, you know, that tenth of a second is a big percentage of that braking area. And that's what the driver gets to feel this rear end being a problem. So then you end up, you know, you take an off front wing, 
to try and balance the car a little bit better so the rear's not so nervous and then you know you lose grip because of that and mid-corner you get understeer and so you're in a spiral to nowhere so obviously ferrari have, have tried to um attend to that problem by following the mercedes solution of suspension probably to get more airflow through there to try and help the diffuser to reattach uh quicker and it, it will help for every car i think now because obviously the leakage underneath the floor that you're going to get at the sides um, because of the regulation change. We're not allowed those little vents in the floor to try and seal the floor. Uh, that will mean there's more airflow leaking underneath the floor, so the diffuser itself will actually be uh, less tendency to stall. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, the regulations will help some cars. It won't help others. Ferrari have done what they can. And as I said, you know, the, picking the back of the car is not the wrong thing for them to do. But in, in general, you need to pick the whole car's car works as one from the front tip of the nose to the rear tip of the crash structure you know it works as one you can't take one end and just focus everything on it so um it's again it's down to the stopwatch you know as i say the the horsepower there is no substitute for horsepower and if ferrari had been able to achieve what was missing uh, in 2020 then they'll have made a big step and all the stuff at the back of the car will will help a little bit here and there but i you know i still think they're playing catch up yeah, well, the engine's obviously the uh, the key question. Should just add, we are we are hearing from Italy that apparently they've moved the differential up a little bit to give more volume, more airflow volume in the in the side channel. So, central gravity up, but a bit of an arrow gain. So that's one little thing we are hearing may have happened. Engine wise, Scott, they talked a lot about the engine, a lot of a power deficit to make up there. So, what do we know? Uh, so we we know that they that they considered uh, a major change in splitting the the turbo and the compressor which is the mercedes uh, uh mercedes inspired solution that honda also turned to for 2017 and that uh, renault is considering introducing for 2022 ferrari did uh, look into that and they are still looking into that but that is going to be for 2022 if it happens um they've opted to keep that the same uh for for, for this year but at the same time they have worked considerably on the 2021 engines layout um the most eye-catching detail that they've revealed is that they have uh revised the 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 turbocharger but there are also the usual attempts to improve the combustion engine and the elements within the energy recovery system ferrari have put an emphasis on the mguh um they've because uh, i think they felt they had a weakness in terms of uh recovering the um the the exhaust gases uh, for, from last year and uh, we know that they've had development work in conjunction with uh, the Shell, their, their fuel and oil partner, which they've said is um, has been worth over a tenth of a second um, in, in, in lap time. So n- nothing, none of the, no, no, no detail so far from Ferrari by way of, you know, explaining exactly sort of what area of the designers change shapes specifications dimensions weight any anything like that but in addition to the 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 usual gain gains uh, or attempts to make gains in areas like thermal efficiency and and and, and power output um the 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 effort has obviously been enormous from from ferrari they weren't able to upgrade their weak 2020 engine at all last year because there was an engine development freeze in season but that meant that all of its development resource was piled into this 2021 design so again third time i mentioned it on the podcast but this is the low-hanging fruit 
for Ferrari. They they were so far behind in this area last year. Um, a problem of their own making because this was the result of having to make changes to conform to the new FIA technical directives that relate to fuel flow and oil burning restrictions. But there was a significant step to make up uh, here. The the big thing is that without without a massive change, and even if they did something like split the turbo and compressor, that still would have only got them onto the same level as Mercedes, which goes back to what Gary was saying earlier about if you're just copying what other manufacturers or rivals are doing, you're not actually innovating, you're, you're just playing catch-up. Um, so, so they've had to catch up where they can, um, which will cut a chunk of the deficit out, but also their opposition are moving on as well. We know that Mercedes is trying new uh, innovations in, in its engine for this year. We know that Honda has pulled out all the stops for its final full year as a as a engine manufacturer in, in, in Formula One. So Ferrari's just, whatever step it's made on its engine, it seems astonishing to me to consider that it would have eradicated its entire deficit over one winter. And that's before you even account for its rivals making process so we've got an idea of the main engine changes and certainly the first sort of real glimpse of detail from ferrari uh but without knowing a little bit more it's hard to get too carried away over sort of how transformational this change will be well it's interesting because we're getting mixed messages Benotto publicly has been very upbeat about it there are some mutterings from marinello that the gains while there are not not enough in terms of how much they have to make up compared to Mercedes. The Ferrari power unit is not going to be at Mercedes level this year, clearly. The question is how much closer it is and whether that means it will actually be able to go racing at the uh, at the faster circuits. There were certain tracks last year where Ferrari really badly struggled, particularly with the drag level, but we know the drag level of the car supposedly has improved. So lots of gains. But Gary, without knowing the details of the engine, because it's basically, <laughs> as far as we're concerned, it's a black box, isn't it? We can just see the car and take what they say about it how much would you realistically have expected them to uh, to to have to have made up and where do you think they might shake out in that kind of noise behind mercedes where you've got renault and honda vying for best of the rest well you know if we take the engine in itself um these you know the normally aspirated turbo engine v6 that's there uh, they're developing you know probably high 700 780 800 horsepower itself and then you add on the the electrical power, which is equivalent to 160 horsepower. So you get, a, you know, a 960 to a thousand horsepower package um, whenever you want it. So basically, you know, let's say that a normally aspirated engine makes 800 horsepower. Um, if they were de- if they had a deficit of 80 horsepower last year, that's 10 percent they've got to try and find. That, that's that's pretty tricky. If they were 10 percent down last year because of the technology they had followed then that, that's a huge amount. And, you know, you're talking about that sort of area. Um, it's it's rough rule of thumb figure is that if you've got a consistent horsepower change of something like 10 horsepower, you're probably going to be one kilometre faster on the straight. So, you know, 10%, 80 horsepower, you're talking about, you know, eight kilometres on the straight. Now, they were down a lot more than that on, on quite a few occasions. So it's not it's not a stupid figure to quote, but... You know, Ferrari, they had a, their thousandth Grand Prix last year. They've been in it since the beginning. And, you know, they're still working for what Enzo Ferrari often said, you know, forget all this aerodynamic stuff, give me more horsepower and the car will go faster. And that's that's the philosophy they're working on. They're, they're trying to catch up, but they're, they're you know, they're still, they've got their focus on 
on the, the, the mechanical side, the horsepower side of the thing. And you can make up for that in aerodynamics, but they're picking the wrong year, I think, to do that. The regulations have tightened up so much because of the, the COVID situation that they sort of can't do probably what they want for 2021. Their hands are tied because of these tokens. But um, I suppose they've bought into it and done what they can. And, and finding horsepower and tidying up the rear end of the car probably all goes as one package, including the cooling system. So it's, you know, it should all be advantageous to them, but I don't see it being a big enough step to to worry um, Mercedes just yet. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the the performance profile overall, isn't it? And while Ferrari was in that midfield group, there's a huge leap from third fastest, which on average last year was actually racing point, Aston Martin as it is now. There's just such a big gap. So Ferrari can make relatively small gains and everything we've said here is consistent with them being able to be best of the rest. But yeah, doing more than that is, is really, really difficult to, to see. But Obviously, for them, there's also the bigger picture of 2022. We've said this, there's various teams that have their focus on that. But as you've written about, Scott, Ferrari have got some extra aero development time through the CFD and wind tunnel aero testing regulations, thanks to finishing sixth last year. One very small upside to that uh, that bad year is they've got a little bit more research time aero-wise. So the real priority is making sure that they're there in 2022, isn't it? It is, but um, the performance of the 2021 car will go some way to informing that because while they do have this greater wind tunnel and CFD allowance than its immediate rivals, um, Ferrari needs to be in a position to actually make use of that. And one of the things that they haven't done is they haven't ruled out developing the 2021 car, at least early on. So what that means is that any 2021 work that they've done so far and any 2021 work that they continue to do over the next few weeks, let's say, for example, if they run the car on track in Bahrain testing and something doesn't add up, some you know th- this has been a problem for Ferrari. Uh, it's hit every team, but Ferrari has suffered this among the biggest teams, arguably the most. Um, is, is things not lining up, the correlation not, not quite being there? And if that happens and they feel that they need to work it out and make further do further wind tunnel work to to establish where that went wrong because ultimately making sure that that correlation is right is going to be utterly crucial for the 2022 car there's no point having loads of um aero testing time if you're just going to waste it because the wind tunnel and the cfd work doesn't actually line up with what you see on track so all all the while they're having to do stuff like this for 2021 they're taking time they're taking wind tunnel hours and cfd items away from that allowance so it's it's quite important um it is it's a small but potentially very useful advantage that ferrari has for 2022 as it stands but the 2021 car that that doesn't exist uh independently of the 2021 car because there's still quite a bit riding on this season for ferrari because of this step that they do need to make so if they if they drop the ball early on, if they realise in testing or at the first race that actually they've got something they need to undo on the 2021 car or improve or work out, then they're going to wave goodbye to whatever advantage they have for 2022 very quickly. And as you've explained before, Gary, in terms of anything that's happening on this car, your underlying understanding, no matter how much the reg changes are next year, if you've got something wrong with 21, you need to understand what you've done wrong or you're in danger of replicating it in maybe a slightly different way on the 22 car, aren't you? 
Yeah, that, that's my biggest thing about it all is you know you can't just stand back for a year and say, well, we're going to really build a very good car for for next year, and we'll let this year go past. It's just it's just impossible to do that. It's all about confidence. It's all about confidence in your decisions and your directions, and the, you know the whole company gets motivation from that. So if you can take a step, the whole company will get motivated. We're going the right way. We know what we're talking about. When you have your meetings, you know, there'll be decisions made as opposed to question marks raised. And and that that's what drives a team. If you just stand back and you have a poor performance, um, you know, like Haas for this year, for example, they're as far as I know, they're not doing anything. They're, they're just biting the bullet and saying, well, we got the 2020 car, let's just go and use it. You know, they're, they're going to put a year away learning nothing. Yes, to get more research time, to get more effort into 2022, but are the decisions you may, you're making in the right direction? It's, it's impossible to know that. It's very, very difficult. You know, whenever you're, it's like when you set up a brand new team, you know, as we did with Jordan, you know, you're making decisions on the way there that really and truthfully, you, they're new decisions. They're not from any background, they're not from any depth. You know, if you've never built a Formula One car, you just have to blindly go down the route that you believe in. And uh, you don't want to put yourself there if you're actually, if Formula One is as competitive as it is now. You really don't want to put yourself there as a team because it's such a big money sport that if you, you know, finish in 10th in the championship financially is a disaster. Yeah, and ultimately Ferrari has been going through quite a long period of underachieving, hasn't it? 12 years without a championship. The last one was 2008 constructors titles so there's a lot of pressure building there and there's a lot of problems that they've been trying to solve over the years and they've had countless iterations of, of solving those uh, those issues so yeah it's a transition year for them but it needs to be a good year on track as Mattia Bonotto has said they do need to show progress they do need to show progress I mean the, the, the thing about it is that the um, you know the pressure valve will blow at some point in time it can't. It can't contain the pressure valve. I'm. I'm amazed that last year, 2020. You know, they they were able to keep the pressure valve under control, and to to for that to happen, they must understand that underneath it all, there is something that was creating that that lack of performance that was that was acceptable by the powers to be. Because normally, the Ferrari that I knew of in the past, and any team basically I knew of in the past, would not withstand that lack of performance without the pressure valve going off and somebody having to carry the can. So it was a strange situation for me 2020, but we have to wait till the uh, stopwatch starts counting um, on on Friday testing and then we'll get a, a bit more of a clearer indication as to wherever he's gone. Just to go back to something we were talking about earlier, our colleague Mark Hughes has been looking into the rear end of the car and tapping up some of his contacts in Italy and has discovered roughly what's going on with the suspension. So we know Ferrari has a new gearbox, that's the two tokens, but while the rear suspension is swept back Mercedes style, the rear leg of the lower wishbone isn't mounted on the crash structure, it's just very close to it. So that explains how Ferrari has managed to make these changes with the tokens that are permitted. You can read Mark's article about that on the race website. It's going to be great to get a proper look at the Ferrari rear end when testing begins. So, money on the table. Scott, final prediction. What do you expect Ferrari to do this year? Third third fastest? Third in the championship? Uh, yeah, I think that has to be the target, and I think they have to make themselves first in line for the, uh, well, the shock wins, it's a bit weird to describe Ferrari as gunning for shock wins, but they basically need, they're not going to make a big enough step to beat Mercedes and Red Bull on merit. So what they need to do is make sure that if there's a situation like Monza or 
Sakia last year when AlphaTauri and Racing Point stole in and, and won a race unexpectedly, that it's Ferrari picking up those opportunities this time. From my point of view, I think the competition for, for best of that midfield bunch, Ferrari should join that, that competition, but it ain't going to be a black and white, you know, third fastest team. Um, I think that the, that the Aston Martin package, the McLaren package, you know, and potentially Renault, if they really do get their act together and Alonso comes back strong, you know, the, the competition there is going to be huge. So I don't see them as a given every weekend third fastest team. No way. Um, they're going to have to fight for it. But I think they should be in the fight as opposed to out the back of it as they were in 2020. Yeah, that would be a bitter blow for them if they're that far off. Well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson, for your insight on Ferrari. Of course, we'll be here with plenty of podcasts during testing, where you'll hear from Gary, Scott, Mark Hughes and myself. Testing, of course, gets underway on Friday. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there about the new Ferrari and the rest of F1's launch season. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories, and also our YouTube channel. Just search for The Race. We're delighted that we've reached half a million subscribers there. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of days with all the news from F1 testing.